Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. So school is almost back upon us. It's a great reaction from the kids. And uh, I want to preach over the next two or three opportunities that I have to preach about a few issues that I think are very important going into that dynamic. Now, having said that, uh, I don't want all the adults to go, oh, he's just preaching to the teenagers and the youngsters and I don't have to listen because everything that I have to say to them, at least tonight, has application to you as well. And so uh, this particular sermon would, uh, would work whether you're going back to school or not, but I believe it has a very special application to uh, students. So you really ought to be listening. Uh, uh, there's a, uh, one of our pastors in the fellowship has a brother who is currently serving uh, 33 years in prison uh, because he uh, was running with the wrong kid. And uh, he went over to this young man's house and uh, they went for a ride together and uh, he thought they were just going to go out and talk and uh, it didn't play out that way. The young man that he was with was high on PCP and ended up going into another person's house and shooting the man in that house, killing him. And so uh, now this man, here's a completely, he thought it was just a, a, a ride in the car. That's all he was expecting. With an old friend, right in a car. And now he's doing 33 years in prison. His entire life has been completely destroyed. His family was thrown into incredible turmoil, lost all of their money, uh, their home, everything, trying to defend the case. Uh, but circumstances did not go well for him, and he ended up in jail. Uh, he, he uh, In talking with this man's uh, saved brother... Uh, he, he, the brother believes full, wholeheartedly that, that, uh, uh, that he didn't really do anything. He's just in the car. He's just at the wrong place at the wrong time. But uh, that's what happens when you run with the wrong people. And there's a powerful dynamic in choosing our friends and in choosing our compatriots that we have to ponder just a bit. And so uh, let's read, I want to just read one verse here, but we're going to look at an awful lot of scripture tonight. And so uh, you just need to uh, let God speak to you tonight. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8 says, The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and the insight it brings into our lives. I pray tonight that you will minister to each and every heart in this building. Those that know you will take stock of their relationships. And they'll be careful, Lord God, in those relationships. Those that do not know you, Lord, will be dealt with by the Spirit of grace and brought to salvation. God, we need miracles in this generation. We need you to pour out your Spirit in our schools. We need you to pour out your Spirit on the job. We need you to save the lost. We ask you, God, to help us 
to be your foot soldiers, God, and to do your bidding and to do your will in this wicked and perverse generation. I pray, God, for grace and strength in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, the first thing I'd like to do is dispense with the myth of the rugged individualist. There is no such creature. The rugged individualist is a myth. Now, I know... You pierced your body and you got your tattoos and you've grown your goatee and you've sagged your pants and you've turned around your hat around backwards to demonstrate that you are the ultimate nonconformist rebel. You and seven million other kids in America have demonstrated that you're completely an independent thinker. I know you've been saved for a long, long time, years and years. No rebel can turn your ear. You're immune to his spirit. So it doesn't matter if you hang with them. It doesn't matter. You don't have to heed the warnings of your pastor. You don't have to heed the warnings of the scripture. You're more spiritual than that. And you won't get sucked in to their vortex of rebellion. Even though I've known pastors far more well-versed in the scriptures, far more exposed in the realms of spiritual warfare who have been sucked into people's vortex of rebellion. But you're above that, you're beyond that, you're brighter than that, and it will never happen to you. I know. I know all of this. I've heard all of this. But unfortunately, none of it's true. And although you like to think that you're your own thinker and you like to think that you're an individualist and you like to think that you're, own, you're your own man or your own woman, the truth of the matter is every one of us is influenced by others. We are influenced by our culture, we are influenced by our relationships and conformity is a part of us because we all seek approval from others. On one level or another, we may reject a certain percentage of the world and a certain perspective percentage of culture and society and say, I don't need their approval. But in that process, we choose another segment that we want their approval. And we conform to that segment and we conform to certain individuals in our lives because every one of us has a desire for approval. The only true nonconformists that I have ever known are nuts. They are true nonconformists. They wear aluminum foil on their heads. They don't bathe. They have visions of Elvis. They don't brush their teeth. They don't have jobs. These are people that are, truly have bailed. They are not part of society. They are not part of culture. They are not part of anything but their own little world. Those are nonconformists. Everyone else conforms on multiple levels. In multiple relationships, in multiple dynamics. And the truth of the matter is, we are influenced in our schools. We are influenced on the job. We are influenced by our friends, by our families, by our bosses, by our teachers, hopefully by our pastors. We are influenced by others. Amen. People and culture influence our clothing. They influence our taste in music. They influence... Uh, our decision-making, they influence our political choices, they influence how we spend our money and how we spend our time. We are all creatures that are influenced. Some of us are so driven by peer acceptance that we are absolute Jekyll and Hydes. 
We come to church and we are one thing. We go to the job, we are something else. We come to church, we are one thing. We go to school, we are something else. Because we must have the acceptance of the group we're with. We are so driven by that uh, that we'll embrace whatever the group that we're with embraces. We're influenced by those around us. Some of the most macho individualist men that I know are run by their wives. Totally influenced. They don't even have a choice. Many of you have been influenced by commercials. Why do you think they run commercials? They run commercials because they know they can influence people. And you will only purchase a certain kind of peanut butter and a certain kind of toothpaste and a certain kind of soft drink and a certain kind of laundry detergent because you've been sold on it. And Madison Avenue knows about this. They call it branding. And they strive for this. They strive to get into your mind and brand their particular product into your thinking and get you to embrace their product. And so there are many here tonight uh, that brushed your teeth with Crest toothpaste. Not because you have carefully examined all of the active ingredients. Not because you've done a study to uh, uh, look into the cavity-fighting properties of Crest. Not because uh, you have researched uh, this against all the other toothpastes on the market uh, and compared cost-effectiveness and compared uh, dental records of massive numbers of people in America. Nobody did any of that. What happened uh, was uh, one of two things. Either your mother got you brushing your teeth with Crest when you were little and you're still doing it. Or some advertisement convinced you that brushing your teeth with Crest would make you more appealing to the opposite sex. And so somehow or other, uh, you were branded, and that's the only kind of toothpaste that you will use. That's the only kind of toothpaste you're interested in. Uh, has nothing to do with whether it's a superior product or not. This holds true for many, many different products that we use in our lives. Uh, many of us swear by certain kinds of cars. Many of us swear by certain kinds of gasoline. Yeah, all the gasoline comes from the same place. Hey, Amen. I've talked to... I've talked to suppliers, uh, and they all go down to the exact same yard in Phoenix. They gas up their truck, doesn't matter whether it's a Texaco truck, it's a Phillips truck, a 66, it doesn't matter. They all go to the exact same place, fill up with the exact same gas, and put it in all of the pumps, and then say our brand is superior. And we buy into this because we are people that can be influenced. We're influenced by the Tiger for Exxon. We're influenced by the female gas attendant at Giant. I, I don't know. I don't know what influenced you, but something influenced you and said, that's where I'm buying my gas. Many of us do it based on the cheapest gas in town. I think that's the best brand you can buy. Hopefully everyone here is influenced by me. Hopefully everybody here is influenced by Pastor Mitchell. 
There's good influences, there's bad influences, but the bottom line is we are all influenced. And this is empowered by spiritual verities. This is something that has a spiritual root. It's, it, it, it goes deeper than just mental issues. There are spiritual issues. And I'm not saying that everything in life has a spiritual root. But I am saying that God made us in such a way that we are influenced not only mentally, but we are also influenced in the spiritual realm. And we are influenced by spiritual beings. It's part and parcel of our spiritual nature. We're like spiritual radios. We can broadcast the spirit that's in us, and we can receive the spirit that's in someone else. And this computes out into a profound influence in our life. This computes out into more than just a mental grasp on a certain issue, but this moves into a spiritual dynamic. Listen to a couple of scriptures that just sort of intimate this. Numbers 5, 14. If the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself. That's a very interesting statement. You can perhaps understand why a spirit of jealousy would make inroads into a man's life if his wife was cheating on him. But he says that this spirit can come on a man's life even if his wife's not cheating on him. And so we're talking about a man picking up on a spirit, whether it be valid or invalid. Uh, there is a certain susceptibility. Uh, there's a certain uh, reality in the spiritual realm that a spirit can come upon us. In this case, a spirit of jealousy. Judges 3.10, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And so these various scriptures, and there's many, many others, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I'm not really interested in the, the spirit per se that is grasping the man. What I want you to see is the overarching principle, the reality that... We are susceptible, or, 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 or going back to the, to the uh, illustration of a radio, we're like antenna that pick up on the spiritual realities around us, and they in turn impart something into our life, come upon us, if you will, and have a profound impact and influence on our lives. See, now I'm getting down into the area that's very critical for our concern. The source of the Spirit may be God, it may be a man, it may be the devil, it may be our culture, it, it may be many different things, but the bottom line is that Spirit can be transferred to us and we can find ourselves embracing the Spirit of another person or the Spirit that is prevalent in a given situation. Numbers 11, 16 and 17 says, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and will put the same spirit upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. Here is a clear Statement of the impartation of a spirit. The same spirit that's on Moses will be on these men. There will be uh, something that transpires. Uh, this is a spirit of judgment. This is a spirit of discernment. And he says, I'm going to put that same spirit on these 70 elders that I've given to you. And the same spirit that you possess. He doesn't actually even say my spirit. He says the spirit that's on you or your spirit. I'm going to put on these men 
as well. Second Kings 2.15 Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. And so here we see the end result of submission and discipleship. We see the impartation of, Elijah, of Elijah's life into Elijah. We see this dynamic where the spirit of a man has influence in the spirit of another man. And so this, these, both of these examples are very positive and very good. And so relationships can be very positive and very good. And the impartation that I'm talking about tonight can be profoundly good. But by the same token, it can be profoundly wicked. 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Uh, and so we're talking about, a, again, a dynamic uh, of the spirit of an individual or the spirit of individuals uh, that begins to rub off and play havoc uh, with an individual's life. And so what I want you to see before we go any further is that this applies to everyone here tonight. There is not a person here tonight that is uh, you know, completely immune to this dynamic. There's not a person here tonight that cannot be persuaded and influenced to, to go completely contrary to all the convictions they hold. There's not a person in here tonight that can't be persuaded or influenced to follow God. It has to do with certain dynamics that we retain within our own lives and our own character, what we're open to, what, where we'll draw lines, what we'll put our foot down on. But I want to tell you uh, that there's not a person in here tonight uh, that isn't susceptible to being influenced because it's more than even just mind-messing. It's spiritual dynamic. So all of this begins to work in our lives. And it's very clear to me as I read through the scriptures that this is a very important issue. If it weren't a real danger, if it weren't something that every one of us has to ponder, then it wouldn't keep coming up. But it does again and again in the scriptures. It is addressed repeatedly. And every one of us uh, has to take to heart the uh, implications of what I'm talking about. Obviously, there is the ever-present Danger of being influenced by the world and by the godless. Second Corinthians six fourteen to eighteen says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God." As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Many, many times we've quoted that scripture and applied it to marriage and dating relationships. But it goes way beyond that, very clearly. Contextually, he isn't even talking about marriage. He's talking about our relationship with those that are not saved. In 1 Corinthians 5, we understand. He makes a statement and he says, uh, I'm commanding you uh, to depart and withdraw from adulterers, fornicators, uh, all of these that name themselves brethren. We're going to look at that verse in just a moment. And he says, but, uh, you know, obviously I'm not talking about sinners. You can't, uh, in order to do that, you'd have to come out of the world altogether. You couldn't be a part of the world anymore. And so he's not looking for some kind of monastic, uh, reclusive lifestyle. He's not saying completely get 
out of the world. But notice here what is said in 2 Corinthians. He says, he starts the whole uh, thought out with, be not unequally yoked. Now we're talking about a different dynamic. We're not just talking about a witnessing relationship. We're not just talking about a working relationship. We're not just talking about, uh, you know, an acquaintance. We are talking about being yoked. To be yoked with someone is to be moving in the same direction. It's to be pulling for the same endeavor. And the word unequally yoked is actually the word strangely yoked. And what Paul is saying here is that it would be very peculiar to take a person who is on their way to heaven and yoke them together with a person who's on his way to hell. You'd be operating at cross purposes. And it won't work. One of you will eventually turn the other around. And so what he says here, he doesn't say, uh, go ahead, uh, yoke yourself together and hope for the best. He says, don't get into that situation. He says, don't build that kind of a relationship with a sinner. Don't build that kind of a relationship with an idolater. Don't build that kind of relationship with an unbeliever. The whole concept of friendship evangelism is flawed at its base because of this. Because the truth of the matter is... I don't speak the same language as you do anymore. And I'm not going where you're going. And to yoke myself to you and to say, let's just be really good bosom, bosom buddies and just, uh, you know, just go through life attached like this. Paul says, no, no, that's a very strange yoking and that shouldn't happen. See, I want to tell you something about winning souls. You win souls by the Holy Ghost. You don't win souls by, by how wonderful your personality is. You don't win souls by saying the things that they want to hear. You don't, you don't win souls. And I'm not saying run right out and be deliberately rude. You know, a pastor told me that you're just an egg-sucking sinner and you're going to hell. Ha! No, you don't win souls that way either. You're not deliberately rude, you're not deliberately caustic, but you don't win souls by befriending them as such. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a place where we are friendly, there's a place where we are winsome, there's a place where we uh, emanate the love of Christ. We're not looking down our nose at sinners, we're not saying you're scum, you're filth, we're saying I used to be as messed up as you are, but I'm different now. Don't you want to be different? That's how you win souls. You win souls by the Holy Ghost taking a very clear Christian stand and driving it into the heart of the sinner. That's how that works. Okay, that was a freebie. Hallelujah. Where was I in my notes before I took off on that? See, in 2 Corinthians here, God is claiming very exclusive loyalties. He says, separate yourself. Come out from amongst them. He's saying, I want that relationship. I want that affection. I want that devotion. I want that loyalty. You have no such loyalties to the world. Psalms 106, verse 35 says, But they mingled with the Gentiles, and they learned their works. Notice there, who rubs off on who? They mingled with the Gentiles, and they learned their works. Psalms 26, 4 to 5 says, I have not set... With vain persons, nor will I go in with the hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. This is David saying, I'm drawing a line in my life. 
Before I ever get there, I have already assumed a predetermined stance and I will not sit with the wicked because I don't want to run the risk to my own spiritual welfare. Deuteronomy 20.18 says, Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods and you sin against the Lord your God. This is spoken to Israel as they're going into the land that God has promised and the need to destroy all of the enemy. And he says, uh, because if you don't, they're going to rub off on you. They're going to influence you. Their spirit is going to have an influence in your life. And you're going to find yourself embracing the same idolatry that they have embraced. And so all of these scriptures deal with the threat of becoming real close and real chummy with the world. That there's an extreme danger here. But it's not limited to that. The scriptures say a whole lot about our relationships with each other. With the brethren. The threat is not purely external. There's a threat from within as well. That's what our text addresses. In this, Moses uh, has spoken several exemptions for those who are about to go to war. He talks about men who have just married. He talks about men who have just built a house. Men who have just planted a vineyard. All, all of these are exempted for a certain period of time. Some are for a year. Some are for three years. There's, there's different dynamics involved in these laws. But in the midst of saying these men don't have to go to war with the army, he throws this one in as well. Anybody who is fearful of heart, don't bring him along either. Because... His fear will rub off on the other soldiers. Because that brother doesn't have a heart for battle, the brother next to him will begin to question whether it's a good idea to raise the sword. And he's talking about that man's spirit being imparted. He's a brother. He's a Jew. He's one of us, but he doesn't have the right spirit. We saw this in Gideon, how God separated out and removed all of those first that were fearful. And then those who who drank from the water the wrong way because they weren't prepared and they weren't vigilant. 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 That's a good word. It's kind of like village idiot. Village int. Okay. Vigilant. Vigilant. Just get the L before the G. This dyslexia is terrible, isn't it? And so he's talking about uh, those that aren't really in the battle. Their heart's not there. Their mind's not there. He he separates them out. God was really serious about this uh, because he understood the impact of influence and the impact of the transference of spirits and how one man will rub off on another. So he says when you go into battle, you need to go into battle with men that are ready for the battle. Men that have a heat and a fire and a desire and they're not fearful. It's very interesting to me. You know, you would think that would pretty well clean out the army, don't you? Anybody who's fearful can go home. Wait a minute. Come back here. But that's not so. There were men who understood why they were fighting and they were prepared to lay their life down for that. They had a right heart. They were ready for battle. And if it came down to just a handful, they would still go to battle. They were unafraid because they knew who they were fighting for. And so here we have this dynamic amongst the brethren. That brethren can be a bad influence upon each other if their spirit and their heart isn't right. We could take that same dynamic and we could bring it into a congregation like this. And we could say, you know, there are some people in this church that have a heart for the battle. 
And there are some people who have given up on the battle. And they've become carnal. And they've become unmotivated. And they've become unclear why it is they're part of this thing. And they will ultimately have a very negative influence on those who want to be in battle. If those who are in battle choose to run with them. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11 says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. No, don't even eat with such a person. So now Paul's bringing it into the church. And we understand in truth that, that someone who is sexually immoral or an idolater, chances are good that they're backslidden. They're not right with God. So they technically may not be brethren. But again, in any given church, there's always people that may be technically named brethren, but they aren't brethren in spirit or heart. There are no doubt people listening to me tonight that aren't saved. They come to the potter's house and they're not saved. It's a likelihood. And the bigger the congregation gets, the more likely it becomes. And so he says, if you know a brother like that, don't even sit down and eat with him. Why? Because you get cooties. Spiritual cooties. Amen. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. Well, that's, that's a pretty good deal. All I got to do is find a wise man and walk next to him. Pretty soon I'll get smart. Well, it's not quite like that. But the truth of the matter is, it's talking about the company you keep. And he goes on and says, But the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 9, 6 says, leave the company of ignorant people and live. Leave the company of ignorant people and live. Now we're down to a matter of survival, aren't we? And beloved, it is a matter of survival. I have seen far too many people ripped off by other people and spiritually they are now dead. They will not survive. They have not survived. They're dead. Simply by choosing the wrong friend. Simply by not departing from the ignorant. 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18 says, Their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. That's a profound statement here. Regarding the powerful corruption that emanates from individuals, here are two Christians that have strayed from the truth. Clearly, they are men of influence. They have run with Paul. And Paul names them and says, these men have gotten twisted through the period of time that they've been Christians. And now they're preaching a false doctrine that the resurrection has already happened. But he makes this incredible statement. He says, their word will spread like a cancer. He doesn't say that their argument is so preposterous and so stupid that the church has nothing to worry about. 
He doesn't say these men are so clearly off the mark that I'm not even concerned about you, Timothy, and I'm not even concerned about those in your charge. These men clearly haven't read their Bibles. They don't have a clue what's going on. And so the the sheep won't have any problem sorting this out. They know the resurrection hasn't happened. They know that their loved ones are still in the grave. They know that uh, there's a, a, a time coming when Jesus will return. They've heard the truth year in and year out. There's no threat here from these men's false doctrine. That isn't what he says. What he says was this obvious, fallacious doctrine will spread like cancer. It's going to grip. And it's going to work its work. And it's going to kill some people. Because cancer is deadly. It's going to bring some people down. These men, their spirit, their influence is going to destroy some believers, some honest saints. Some good people are going to end up dead because of these men's influence. You know, our brethren can get off into sin. They can get off into error. We can say, well, that's their problem. I don't have to worry about it. That's a personal issue. But it'll never remain there. It doesn't stay a personal issue. It spreads throughout the whole church. This is the whole concept of leaven. That you've heard preached about, that Jesus talked about, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. That Paul talked about when he spoke of immorality being a leaven in the church. This is the concept of leaven, that it never remains individualized. It never remains localized. It always spreads. That's its nature. And so you and I have to come to grips with the reality that no matter how well grounded we are in the Word, no matter how long we've been saved, no matter how serious we are about the things of God, one of the areas that we constantly have to be on our guard on is our relationships. Sometimes we can have relationships with a brother or a sister who's proved themselves strong in the Lord through the years, but something begins to shift. And you begin to notice a very subtle thing that starts to come out of them. A complaining and a bitter spirit. And they begin to find problems everywhere. And they begin to challenge this and challenge that. Something's gotten twisted in them. We have to be careful at all times about our relationships. See, I know men right now that aren't serving God. Because at the point when their friend began to get weird and twisted, they didn't say a word. And they didn't withdraw. They just let it run their course. Oh, this is my friend. This is my homie, man. I can't jack him over. I want to tell you something. Cost them their soul. That's a high price to pay for a false loyalty. See, everything I've touched on thus far leads to an obvious conclusion. And that is that we cannot be careless or willingly ignorant about the people that we run with. We can't make bad friendships. Bad friendships will destroy you. Okay, so you're going back to school and you desperately want to fit in. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. Don't you hate it when mom and dad say, you're not running with Billy. Because I've looked at Billy. And I don't like Billy. Dad, he's a good kid. No, he ain't. Yes, he is. And I like him, and he's funny. Well, I don't like him, and he's not funny. 
dad. And so you go sneaking off. You go sneaking off. And you and Billy get together. Slip off behind the barn and look at Playboys together. Slip into the boys' room and start smoking together. Because you don't have the brains to realize that Billy is your worst enemy, not your best friend. See, you can't afford to ignore the nature of your relationships. And there are so many reasons why people choose to embrace bad influences. Probably the greatest issue is a kindred spirit. That's why it is so important to keep your own heart right first and foremost. Because if there's something in you that's funky, as soon as another person who has the same funk in them finds you, you get together and you're going to have a funk festival like you just can't believe. You're both going to be getting down and funky. There's something about to that spiritual dynamic that I was talking about earlier that is uncanny. And pastors mentioned this before, and I've seen this, and anybody who's been around for any length of time has watched this, two total strangers gravitating to each other. You go, Man, how did they find each other so quickly? Come to a church of 600 people, and they walk out the door. The first day, they walk out the door together. It is unbelievable. It's that spiritual radio thing. They, you know, they turn to channel funk and so does this other guy. They're both on channel funk together. Amen. People find their spiritual counterparts like homing pigeons. Sometimes we choose our relationships, as I mentioned earlier, because of the need of acceptance. We want to be popular. Sometimes we choose our alliances because we think they'll benefit us somehow, that they'll elevate us somehow, that somehow we'll profit from those relationships, materially perhaps, or in terms of power or prestige. I know, you know, I remember myself back in high school, before I was saved, there were some kids I hated, but I ran with them because they were the ones that had all the connections. They had the good dope. They knew the right people. They had the money. They drove the right kind of car. And there was a couple guys in particular. They used to drive me nuts, but they had what I wanted. Granted, that's kind of mercenary. Granted, I knew at the time that it was kind of mercenary. But, you know, you can ignore a lot of things if you're getting what you want. You can ignore your own glaring character flaws if you're getting what you want. And so whatever the reason may be, whatever the motivating factor may be, we have to see that the profound impact of those relationships is going to have on us is incontrovertible. It's, it's so dynamic. It is so powerful. It's going to lead you down a road to hell. You'll lose your soul for these relationships. Second John 10 uh, uh, and 11 says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Fascinating. This story I opened this sermon with. All this kid did was get in the car with his buddy, and now he's doing 33 years shared with his evil deeds. That's what happened. He shared with his evil deeds, and those evil deeds came back on him in a way he had never contemplated. 
And that's exactly what happens in life. We embrace the wrong people and we end up regretting it for years to come because of this very principle. Galatians 5, 7 and 9 says, you ran well. Who hindered you? It's an interesting question. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. There we are, back to leaven. But the interesting thing to me is that Paul is looking at the Galatian church and he's thinking and he's saying, you know what? These guys used to have the goods. These guys started well. They were running. They were up and running. These guys were conquerors for the kingdom of God. What happened to them? How did they get so kinked? How did they get drawn into legalism again? How did they so miss God? And he's wrestling this through and he comes to the obvious conclusion. Who hindered you? Who got a hold of you? This didn't just come. You weren't just sleeping one night and you got a new revelation. Somebody twisted your head. Somebody played with your brain. Somebody introduced you to a doctrine and you ended up embracing that. These were good Christians. Powerhouse church. Ran well. Somebody got a hold of them. It's the inescapable principle of leaven. Works below the surface with predictable results. And you end up where you never thought you'd go. Every person in this place tonight, you have to examine your relationships. Every kid in this place that's going back to school, you're going to go back into that school, you're going to meet new people, you're going to build new relationships. You have to ask yourself, who is this person that I am relating to? What is their spirit and what are they about? And if they have, uh, you know... Anarchy symbols all over their notebook. And they wear a dog collar around their neck. You might say to yourself, I don't want to run with dogs. (laughs) Hello. And if they're uh, into this thing and that thing, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, you, you can be friendly with just about anybody you want to be, but the first whiff you get of a funky spirit, you... You really need to run. You need to use your judgment, kids. I know you don't have much. Makes it real challenging. But you got to use what you got. And if you can't figure it out, you really ought to talk to your parents. But you don't want to do that because you really want to run with Billy, don't you? Or Susie. Or Billy, who's become Susie. (laughs) You've got to run through a mental checklist with your friends. Are your friends encouraging carnality or spirituality? Okay, I'm, I'm saying this to everybody now, not just the kids. Because everybody in here has got relationships. What do your relationships provoke in you? Are they always suggesting spiritual hooky? Ah, let's, we don't need to go to church this weekend. Let's go down to Phoenix. I just made that one up. But I could feel it. <laughs> I just caught somebody going to Phoenix. 
man. All you ever want to talk about is the Bible. Let's talk about something else. Boy, I hate the people at that church, don't you? That Pastor Lamb, what a pinhead. <laughs> See, what are your relationships provoking you? What do they draw out of you? What do they make you want to do? What do they encourage you to do? At their base, is there a profound hunger for the things of God or is there carnality? I'm I'm asking you to examine your friendships. At the base of the people that you run with, are they carnal or are they spiritual? See, we don't want to ask those kinds of questions. We don't want to dig that deep, do we? Because it jeopardizes a relationship, and we all thrive on relationship. But I want to tell you something. If you build the wrong relationship, you'll rue the day. And eventually, you will go down to the lowest common denominator. That's human nature. And so what you have to do is, as you examine those relationships, if you find yourself coming up with some bad answers... Yeah, you know what? My good buddy really is pretty carnal dude. Then my advice to you uh, is to find yourself some friends that are on fire. And then perhaps try to reach back and draw your friend along. But you got to have a basis of new relationships to draw strength from and to be encouraged in. Because this is what happens. If you simply cut yourself off and say, okay, this guy's carnal, I won't have him, and you're standing there alone, that aloneness drives you back into that camp. People can't live with that aloneness. And so they rather would have friends that are funky than no friends at all. And so what you have to do, if you're looking at your relationships and you're saying, you know what, this isn't really a good relationship, this really isn't producing what I want in my life, then you need to find yourself some friends, and clearly you're capable of making friends because you made bad ones. And so if you made some bad ones, you can make some good ones. And so you kind of sniff around and you you look at who's going on outreach, And who's involved in ministry and who's at prayer and who's contending for the kingdom and who's faithful. And you kind of get close to them and go, hi, you want to be my friend? (laughs) Or something to that effect. And you build a relationship that is profitable in your life. And then you may be able to reach back and bring your struggling brother along. You have to weigh your friendships in the scales. And if they're not making you a stronger Christian, then you have to reevaluate them. You have to reevaluate them. Amen? Amen. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed this evening. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not saved. And I don't want you to misconstrue the scriptures or what I have said. We are all sinners saved by grace. That's what Christians are. We don't look at sinners as if they're dogs or if they're insufferable creatures or if they're filthy and dirty and we have to distance ourselves from them. We are sinners saved by grace. But what I have talked about is a spiritual dynamic. And I want to tell you something. Before I was saved, I had a very bad spirit. My spiritual man was polluted and corrupt. 
And if I'd have gotten my hands on a Christian, uh, I would not have tried to encourage them serving God. I would have done everything I could to persuade them to leave Jesus Christ. And that's true of most of the world. That's true of most people. When push comes to shove, uh, people who aren't saved don't particularly care for people that are saved. And that's not because there's something wrong with the people that are saved. We're all just people. The difference is the spirit. And your spirit, sinner, is taking you to hell, just like my spirit was taking me to hell. I'm not superior to you. I'm not a better person. I don't deserve to go to heaven any more than you do. I deserve to go to hell like everybody else. The difference is, one day somebody told me that Jesus loved me and would have mercy on my wretched soul if I would repent and turn to him. If I would cry out for forgiveness, God was alive and he would touch my heart and he would touch my life and he would change me. He would do a wonderful miracle for me. And I shined that on at first and I ignored that. uh, But there came a point in my life uh, when I did in fact cry out to God. uh, Absolutely alone in my bedroom. Nobody around. uh, No profound Christian relationships. But enough Christians had witnessed to me. And I'd heard enough gospel to say, okay, I am willing to try this. And God reached down in his mercy and he saved a wretch like me. In the words of John Knox. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Sinner, you're not inferior to me. You're just not saved. You're just not saved. You have a different spirit. Your spirit is of your father, the devil. My spirit now, because of a miracle, is of my father, God. This is why Paul writes in Romans, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You're not the slave of the devil any longer, but you've got a new spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, and recognizes God in your life. If you're here tonight and you're unsaved, you desperately need that miracle. You don't want the devil as daddy. You don't want to go to hell. I guarantee you that. Whether you understand it or not, you don't want to go to hell. The Bible says that's where we're all heading, every one of us, unless the grace of God turns our life around, changes us, saves us. And you're here tonight. You're not saved. Jesus loves you as much as he loves me. And he died for you just like he died for me. And he wants you to make the same kind of choice that I made. All right, God, I am a sinner. I recognize that. I have violated you. Every time I open my mouth, every time I act, I violate you. I do everything opposite of what you want. I am a sinner. But I believe you, God, for grace and salvation. And at that moment, God touched me. And that's what God wants to do in your life. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you want that miracle, if you want to make that choice, if you want to be a different person, if you want to be converted, if you want the power of God to break the bondage of of sin and slavery in your life and give you a whole new beginning, then raise your hand right where you're seated and say, pray for me. See that hand. God bless you, young man. Others, be honest. Raise your hand. Say, pray for me. I want to be saved. I want God to come into my life. You can put that hand down. Others, say, pray for me. I want Jesus in my heart. I want a miracle. I'm sick of my sin. I got so tired of sin. Aren't you tired of sin? Aren't you tired of hating? Aren't you tired of bitterness? Aren't you tired of addictions? Aren't you tired of perversion? Aren't you tired of what an animal it makes you? 
Aren't you tired of a conscience that accuses you every Sunday morning after Saturday night? Aren't you tired of it? Raise your hand. Join this honest heart. Say, pray for me. I'm not saved. There are people here tonight that are backslidden. You've known the love of God, but you're not living for Him tonight. You're one of those that comes to the potter's house, but you're not living for God. You have no relationship with Him. You have no grace in your life. You have no victory. You have no power. You have chosen sin again. This may be directly related to the friends you've chosen who have led you astray. And tonight, you want to come back around and say, you know what? I made some bad choices, but I'm going to get them right tonight. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Say, pray for me. I want to get my heart right. I want to get my heart right. I see this hand. God bless you. I see this hand. God bless you. Others. Be honest before God. Say, man, I made some really bad choices, and they've cost me far more than I ever wanted to pay. I want to get my heart right tonight. Would you raise your hand all over this building? Anyone else? Before we turn this service around, this is an incredible opportunity. An incredible opportunity. God holds the doors of heaven open wide for you. Offers you a new life. What an opportunity. Don't blow it. Raise your hand. Anyone else before I change the order of the service? I want these that raised your hands. I want you to slip out of your seat right now. Come find a place to pray. Over here, over here. I want you to come find a place to pray. Thank God for honest hearts. Need a young, need a man to come help me pray here. And a man to help me pray here. Speaking to Christians in this place tonight. First, I want to speak to the students in this place. This is going to be one of the most profound battles you're going to have to fight. And you're going to have to fight it from the day you step into school. This is going to be the front line of your spiritual survival. And it all revolves around the friendships that you make. And Paul had a simple bit of advice. Don't go yoking yourself to somebody who's moving in a different direction than you're moving. It's a strange relationship. And it'll have bitter fruit. There are students here today. Listen to me. There are some students here and even your friends in church. They're not serious about the things of God. You need to find some friends that are serious about the things of God. Because they're going to help you in school. If you're going to school with a brother or sister from the church and you're both on fire, you need to, you need to uh, uh, lock hearts together, lock minds together, support each other, stand fast together. And it'll strengthen you in ways you can't imagine. A two-fold cord is not easily broken. And you're here tonight. You desperately need uh, relationships, but you need good ones. Don't go to school and start forging bad alliances. It'll destroy you. Speaking to everybody in this place, I challenge you. Examine your relationships. What are they producing? What are they producing? You're not so blind and so ignorant that you can't judge correctly. You can look at your heart. You can look at your relationships and you can say, you know what? We all groove on the same thing and it's not God. We all find humor in the same things and it's not godly. We've built relationships and they're not helping each other find the things of God. I need to build some other relationships. I would challenge you tonight, every person here, weigh your relationships. Examine them carefully. 
Are they doing you good or are they doing you harm? And if they're doing you harm, find the courage to begin to branch out and build some stronger relationships with stronger Christians. We're going to open these altars. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this song, um, On Bended Knee I Come. These altars are open. If God's speaking to you, I want